Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Good morning. We have our students and kids stand. We're going to bless you, send you your classes. It's a privilege to have you in here uh, during worship and communion. And now we'll release you. So uh, our tradition is that we pray this blessing. If you're a parent, and lay your hand on your child. If you're an adult, you can stretch your hand, if you're comfortable with that, toward a kid. And uh, join me in this blessing. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And now, Lord Jesus, we pray a blessing over our kids and our students. We ask that you would use this time, Lord, uh, that they would be part of your response to the needs of this world, that they would be a light uh, to people who are in darkness, that you would bless them, strengthen them. Thank you for their teachers and their leaders. Be with them this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Bye, guys. So while they're going, I want to ask you a question. So think. It's a trick question. No, kidding. Uh, So do you remember, start filing through the archives, do do you remember uh, the first time you ever looked through a microscope? Remember the first time you ever looked at the microscope? It's just such an incredible experience because we think that we know uh, what the world looks like, and especially if you're a kid, you know, you, you know what you see and, and you're confident in what you see, uh, and, and then all of a sudden you get this opportunity to look through a microscope and the whole world just opens up. It's like somebody has pulled the curtain and you see the world completely different. You see a different picture, what just looked like a little bit of nothing Uh, on a slide, all of a sudden becomes this living organism. It all of a sudden explodes, and and you see it completely differently. You see it for the first time. It opens up a whole different world for you, really, and you're never quite the same. You don't look at things the same uh, after that, Uh, and that's a little bit of what we're going to talk about this morning. Now, I have a picture of a microscope, just in case you forgot what they look like. Just giving you a heads up. That's a microscope, now, there are a couple of versions. Some of them have two, uh, you know, eyepieces. Some have one. Uh, so we went all out this morning and got you the two eyepieces, all right? Uh, now, I have a couple of pictures that I want you to look at. Now, I want you to just think about this, what we normally see, and then what we see, what the world looks like from under a microscope. Here's the first slide. A- and that is uh, butterfly eggs on a raspberry plant. That's what that slide is. Now, I'm sure it was the first thing that came to your mind when we put the slide up there, right? Butterflies on a raspberry plant. Here's the second one. Uh, Okay, now this is um, a micro crack in steel. So somebody took, uh, put under a microscope a micro crack in steel. Now, when I looked at that, I thought, nah. I went up three different sites, and that's what a micro crack in steel actually looks like. Now, here's the third one. This is going to change how you think about lunch. This is salt and pepper. You thought you knew what salt and pepper looked like. Now you really know what salt and pepper looks like. And that's what you're putting in your body when you do that. Okay, just, just wanted to make your day on that one. Okay, here's one. That's a human eyelash. Seriously. 
That's a human eyelash. Now, you thought you knew what eyelashes looked like, and then we put an eyelash under, we put it under the microscope and, and illuminated hundreds of times, and that's what, a mic- that's what an eyelash looks like under a microscope. Isn't it some, something that we think that we know what we're seeing? Uh, we think that we know what the world's looking looks like, and then we get under the microscope, and everything changes, and I have one more, uh, and that is a wood ant holding a microchip a wood ant holding a microchip. Uh, Now you see where they get all the monsters from those B movies that they put out for years, you know. Uh, They they get them from insects under microscopes. But uh, that's the idea that we think we see the world and then we get it under a microscope and all of a sudden the world changes. What we thought we saw changes. And And that's what we're gonna talk about this morning because Jesus is going to take three of his disciples and they're gonna have an experience where they think they see Jesus, they think they know about Jesus, they think they're really learning uh, everything there is to know about Jesus. They think they're the, the, the resident experts on Jesus, and he allows himself to go under a microscope, and their world gets turned upside down. Everything changes for them because they see who Jesus really is. We're going to do that out of the Gospel of Mark, the ninth chapter. And we're moving through this passage. We're moving through the, the gospel according to Mark. And next week, we're going to talk about, uh, we're going we're to be at Palm Sunday. It's Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And, and just a heads up, but there may be two, the older Anderson boys that are tag teaming that sermon next Sunday. That'll be fun for us. And then the next week, we have Holy Week, and we'll have Good Friday services here and Easter services here. But we're moving in to Easter week. And what this means is that we get to this point in the Gospels, and Jesus is moving toward Jerusalem. He's moving toward the end of of that journey, uh, that he is going to go to Jerusalem, all of those things that he's told his disciples. Remember last week, Jesus is walking with his disciples, and he says, who do do people say that I am? And, and, And they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. And some say you're Elijah, one of the other great prophets. And, and then Jesus looked at his disciples, and he said, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? You tell me. You decide. And Peter got the right answer. You're the Christ. Matthew's gospel says uh, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. But what we understood is that, that Peter saw part of Jesus, but he hadn't really seen Jesus yet. Uh, he hadn't really seen the glory of Jesus. He, he hadn't seen the eternal Jesus. And today, Jesus is going to give them a glimpse of who he really is. He's going to give them a f- bigger, more full picture, a more complex picture uh, of who he really is. And so we go to Mark 9, and we start in verse 2, and it says this, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became uh, radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus, and Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, and they were, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. So this is what we call the story of the, of the transfiguration. 
and they're on, they go up on a mountaintop, and I want you to pay attention to this because this is, this is part of the story for us. This is part of how we relate to the story. Jesus takes three of his disciples, his most intimate disciples, Peter and the brothers James and John, and he takes them to the top of the mountain, and when they get up there, he is transfigured. Uh, they see him in his glory. They see the eternal Jesus. They get a glimpse of, of the eternal. Uh, they see the Jesus that is in heaven. They see the Jesus that is glorified. And I love this because Peter, you got, you got to love Peter. He gets this privilege. He's taken to a mountaintop. Jesus is transfigured. Moses and Elijah uh, come down and they're talking to him. And what does Peter say? Jesus, it's so good that I was here today. That no matter what happens, somehow Peter makes this about him. Jesus, isn't it, aren't you glad I was here today to, to see this? And I've got a plan for this. This is so great. And, and you know, when we get down from the mountain, I'm going to tell people that what happened and that I was there when it happened. You know, I was, there were only three of us and Jesus took me and I was in that mountain with him and and we put some tents up and we and my name, I have a little plaque it's got my name on it I was the mountain and, and somehow this is about he makes it about him he has this great gift but I appreciate that and and you know it's part of the authenticity of the gospel according to Mark because nobody would actually write that about themselves that that this is the story uh, as it happened and and, and I, I appreciate this because this is uh, way too much like me that, that God does great things and I see all of these things in the world and I see things in people's lives, but somehow I have this desire, I have this need to somehow make it about me, that somehow God did this for me or what God, what have you done for me lately? And no matter what happens, no matter how many times I see his glory, there's a tendency in my life to want to make it about me. And then I don't get the real picture Peter could have missed the real picture. He sees the glorified Jesus. And let me just tell you, the other thing it says, and I love this again, Peter, Peter not knowing what to say, uh, Peter did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Peter didn't know what to say. So he says the first thing that comes to his mind. He just speaks. He just fills the air. Because he was terrified, all three of them were terrified. And think about the Gospels. Think about how many times in the Gospels we've read so far that they were terrified. That when Jesus touches a leper, it scares them because they thought lepers were contagious. They thought this was a death sentence. They're in a boat two different times, and, they, and there's a storm, and they're rowing, and their wind is blowing, and waves are coming over the boat, and they think they're going to drown. And the story says that they're terrified. And now they're on a mountain, and they see the glory of Jesus, and they're terrified. And, and let me help you with this this morning, because this is part of the picture that we need to see, that when we see the glorified Jesus... When we see the eternal Jesus, and we really see him, we see him under that microscope, uh, we see him illuminated, we see how great he is, we see the magnificence of Jesus, the magnificence of his love, of his creation, and when we see him for who he really is, it will rock us to our knees. He is so amazing, he is so big, he is so powerful that we'll have no other choice when we see him, it will take us to our knees. That's what it means to see the glorified Jesus. That's what it feels like to see the glorified Jesus. And were they frightened? Yeah. 
Would I have been frightened? Yes. Would you have been frightened? Yes, because we're in the presence of the creator of the universe. We're in the presence of Jesus the Christ, the Messiah who came to earth, who didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, became a servant, died on a cross, rose again, and when we're in his presence, we won't have no anything else but to drop to our knees and worship for him. That's what it means to see the glory of the Lord. That's what the disciples, those three disciples experienced that day. They're on a mountaintop and they have a mountaintop experience. Have you ever had a mountaintop experience? Have you ever had one of those experiences that you just, man, God is so good. God has done something amazing. That is so spectacular. That's what they had. And, and so Peter's response to it is, let's build three tents. Let's build three tabernacles. That's what you do. You see, the Israel's had a, uh, Israelites had a tradition. Uh, it's called the Feast of the Tabernacles. And it's a harvest festival uh, that they would do. It's, it's in October. They still celebrate it. And um, it, it's in October, and it's celebrating God's provision. They do it around the harvest every year and, and celebrate God's provision. And part of this celebration was they, they would build these little tabernacles, these little tents uh, along the side of the main road in Jerusalem uh, as a reminder of God's grace and God's provision for them as they went through the wilderness. God had them build a tabernacle. That's God said, this is where my presence will dwell. You take Take it with you. You take this tent with, with you wherever you go on your journey, and I will be with you. And here's Jesus, and they want to build three tents. They want to build three tabernacles to him. But Jesus says, you don't need to do that because I am the tabernacle. I'm the temple. I am present with you. You don't have to do anything else. I've arrived. I've come to earth for you. And so even though Peter, not knowing what to say, says, I've got a great idea. Let me, let me do this for you, Jesus. Let me make this about me. By the way, do you remember? That I, was, I was one of the three. I was there. I was, Jesus took me with him. I was one of the three. That's Peter's life. That's, that's how we live. We, we just somehow want to draw that about, make it about us. But he, built, he wanted to build those three tents, and Jesus said, it's not necessary. Now, Elijah and Moses are there, the two, arguably the two greatest prophets. Uh, they're, they're there talking to Jesus. Elijah, uh, you know a lot about Moses, led the children of Israel out of Egypt. El Elijah was, um, you know, they, they were arguably the two greatest prophets, and Elijah is the one that you can read about him. If you go to 1 Kings 17 and start reading and get the 2 Kings, the first couple of chapters, you get these stories about what an am amazing person he was, what a great prophet he was, how God used him to speak truth to the nation of Israel in spite of all the danger, in spite of the risk that he had to go through, in spite of everything God used him in remarkable ways, but he was a real person, and you get a great story if you uh, take the time to read those, but Elijah was um, known also as a man that there's a point in, <clears throat> in 2 Kings 2 uh, where he has his apprentice Elisha with him, and uh, fiery chariots come, and a whirlwind comes and takes him up to heaven, and so he, he doesn't die. He's, he's whisked up to heaven in a whirlwind, and uh, many, that causes many scholars to believe that, that John the Baptist uh, was the, came to fulfill uh, the work, came to finish the work that uh, Elijah started, and that's where Jesus would say at the end of this passage that Elijah has already come, and they did whatever they wanted to with him. So we have this amazing picture, and we have Peter, James, and John that are right in the middle of what God's doing. This mountaintop experience, the world's most awesome summer camp, right? The world's most awesome experience, they're right there in it. But <laughs> like any mountaintop experience, you don't live there. You don't stay there. And they had to come down from the mountain. 
And, and, and isn't that the truth, that when we have those mountaintop experiences, we want more than anything. If I could just stay here, if I could just live here, if I could just live at this camp, if I could just live at this retreat, if I could just live at this place with these people, wouldn't life be awesome? But we don't live our lives there. We have these experiences, and then we come back uh, from the mountain into real life. And, and when we get to real life, we discover what, the, what Jesus and Peter, James, and John discovered is that there's always chaos at the bottom of the mountain. There's always trouble at the bottom of the mountain. Real life hits when we get to the bottom of the mountain. So Jesus takes his disciples and they come down to the mountain and when they get there, it's just chaos. <laughs> Pandemonium has broken out. And we'll, we'll, we'll take a look at this uh, in, in further in, in the, ninth, uh, the ninth chapter, verses 14, it begins like this. It says, and when they came... Uh, when they came to the disciples, when they came down the mountain to the disciples, uh, they saw a great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them. So they get down the mountain and they see the disciples that they left are down at the bottom of the mountain and there's a big argument uh, going on between the religious leaders and the rest of the disciples. Uh, and uh, immediately when the crowd saw Jesus, uh, they were greatly amazed and they ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd uh, answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And when it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams, and he grinds his teeth, uh, and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they weren't able to. And so here's the scene. They come down from this mountaintop experience, and they walk into this chaos and arguing and fighting and, and embarrassment, and the disciples are there, and a man has brought his son. He's looking for Jesus, but he sees the disciples, and he said, you can help me, and they do whatever they can. I don't know what they tried to do. I don't know if they spit on the ground and made mud to see if that would work. Uh, they try all the things that they'd seen uh, Jesus do and, and, and see if something would heal him. Him, uh, what, what is going to make this happen? And nothing happened. They were complete failures. And all of a sudden, the religious leaders show up and they start embarrassing them and they start arguing with them uh, and they start trying to humiliate them in front of all of this crowd. And there's this big argument going on when they get down the hill. And wow, you come down from the mountain from this incredible experience and you just walk into a mess. Disbelief, arguing. It feel, feels like life, doesn't it? And it can be discouraging because somehow we want, we want that afterglow, right? We want that feeling that we had on the mountaintop. We want that experience to sort of somehow carry over uh, in our lives, but we get to our lives and real life happens and there's chaos and pain and embarrassment or whatever it is. And we wonder, did I really, was I really up there? Did I really ever have that experience? Did, did that really happen? Was that really true? Did I just imagine that? Because I... I'm back here and it's a mess again. And that's what happened. Well, here's the story. After the, the man who happens to be the boy's father tells Jesus this, he said, I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And Jesus, he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Bring the boy to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, saw Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and he rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. 
And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And that's what he says. That's what this father says to Jesus. Jesus, if you can do anything to help us, I am so tired. I am so exhausted. I have done everything that I could think of. I have tried every way that I know to protect my child, to, to be there for my son. I've taken him to doctors. I've taken him to everybody, everything I can think of. And I just, I don't know what else to do. I'm at the end of my rope. If you have some compassion, can you do anything to help can you do anything to help us? And then Jesus gives him a little teasing remark here. Jesus says, um, and I love this, if you can do anything, if you can do anything, have compassion and help us. And Jesus said, if you can, if you can do anything, are you you're talking to me? He said, all things are possible for those who believe. Of course I can. Of course I can do that. All things are possible for those who believe. And immediately the father of the child cried out and he said, and I hope you, I hope you know these words, the father of the child cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. All in one sentence. I believe, help my unbelief. Jesus, I believe in you, I believe I want to believe so much. I, I, believe that, I believe that you've healed people. I, I believe in all the things that you say. I believe the things that say, but, but, but I have had so much pain. I've had so much disappointment. I don't think I can bear one more moment of disappointment, one more you know, passage with my son here without any help. I don't think I can do anything else. I really believe you, but, but I, I don't know because I don't think I can face it if nothing happens. So I believe you, but help my unbelief. This is so powerful, and I'm so grateful for this. Have you ever, you don't have to raise your hand, okay? It could be awkward, but have you ever had a moment of doubt in your life? Yeah, amen. Have you ever had a moment where you just doubted that you feel like I've been through so much, and I just don't think I can take it if this doesn't work. I don't think I can do it. I don't think I can take one more step if this doesn't pan out, Lord. And I believe in you, but help me because I'm, I'm so filled with doubt and uncertainty and fear right now. And that father, God bless him, he admitted it. He owned that. And Jesus didn't say, all right, man, come back to me when you're 100% on board. Come back to me when you fully get it. But Jesus took this man with his belief and his doubt, and he, put, and he allowed those to go together because that's me. That's my life. I believe, and then I get a little fearful, and I get a little doubtful. And Jesus says, come. Come to me. Bring it all with you. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all together. We, we kind of have this, if, you, if, you go to the, if you've been to church for a lot, you know, maybe for a long time, maybe you've bought into this whole thing that to really be a, a great Christian that you can't have any doubts that you can't ever have any fears, that you're gonna, you've got to have this whole thing nailed and put together. And, and then when you do have a doubt, you just lie about it. 
you just pretend that you don't or you try to talk yourself out of it, but that's how life works because we don't live on the mountaintop. We live in the middle of the chaos and that just happens. There's a moment in Matthew 28 that you ought to look at. It's in the 18th verse when Jesus is already risen from the grave and he's about to ascend up into heaven and he calls his disciples to him and he gathers them around him and they all come to him in this mountain and it says, and they worshiped him, but some doubted. They worshiped him, but some doubted. That still, after everything, that they bring their doubts, they bring their fears, they bring the real people, they bring the fact that they're human beings, they bring all of that to Jesus, and this tells me something, that I can take my strengths, and I can take my weaknesses, I can take my belief in Jesus, and I can take my doubt, and I can still worship him. It's not about me, it's about him. He's still worthy of worship. He's still true. The resurrection really happened. I can stake my life on it, and when my emotions start to lie to me, when my emotions start to tell me something different, I can go to what I know is true, and that is that Jesus is the Christ, that he died on a cross, that he rose again, and I can build my life on the truth of that and not build my life around how I'm feeling at the moment. And I still worship him. And that's the picture that Jesus is giving us. He's showing his disciples a little bit behind the curtain that he is the Christ. He's the real deal. He's the Messiah, the glorified one. And then he's saying, and you can bring all of that junk, all of the chaos, all the trouble that you experience at the bottom of the hill, and you can bring that to me, and I am still the great physician. I am still the healer. It doesn't mean I didn't die on a cross and rise again. It just meant that we have emotions that Jesus allows us to bring. The, the Father says, uh, the Father says, I am trying, but I'm full of doubt. I believe who you are, but I still am afraid. It says that the Father, child said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the crowd came running, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had entered into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Boy, you were trying all the other things. But here's the secret. Do you trust me? Will you bring it to me? Will you pray? Will you ask me? Will you come to me for it? And, and why, why is it that I had to be the last resort for you guys? Why is it that you didn't trust me enough to call on me to pray? But you wanted to try all the other things first. And when everything else failed, when nothing else worked, then we become really good prayers, don't we? Jesus says, here's, here's where you start. This is where the miracles happen in our hearts, in our lives, in our beliefs, in our doubts. We come to him in prayer when we say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I'm committed, this, I'm committed to you. I'm a follower of you. Regardless of how I feel today, I'm a follower of you. There's a great um, scientific word that I learned this week. It's... Uh, <laughs> because I love scientific words, because I know nothing about science, but it's called albedo, albedo, something like that. Some of you scientists would know this. Um, but Paul, the Apostle Paul, in his writings, likens us to shining stars. Uh, and, and the word shine means to reflect. Uh, 
And so this scientific term, albedo, is the measurement of how much sunlight uh, the moon or uh, other stars reflects from the sun. And so uh, the moon really reflects very little, about you know, 0.7% or something uh, of the, the sun's light, but just enough for us. And so when we, the point is that when we look at the sun, or when we look at the moon, I'm sorry, when we look at the moon, we're not seeing the moon shining, even though it makes for a better song, we are looking at the, ref the moon reflecting the sun. That the moon doesn't shine, the moon reflects the shine of the sun. Uh, when, when people see us, uh, we're not the one that shines. Jesus is the one that shines. Jesus is the one that's glory, that's, that's glorified. Uh, he, he's the one that, I, I love it, he, he's the one that shines so brightly uh, that there's no tide or no bleach that could make him any whiter if you read it. There's no, there's no way in, on earth that you, you could have cleaned him enough to make him glow and shine like that, that he was radiant, that that was him. There's nothing that we can do. There's nothing that we have the power to to, to kind of create that, but that's who Jesus is. He is the glorified Christ. He is the God of the universe, but we have been called to reflect his glory. Uh, We've been called to reflect the glory of Christ in a world that desperately needs to see him. We're not called to stay on the mountaintop, but we're called to come down from the mountain and to be a reflection of the glory of Jesus where we live, in the chaos of our lives, in the middle of pain, in the middle of confusion, in the middle of the arguing and all the things that go on, that we are called to be that reflection. And it's not about us. Isn't that good news? It's really about Jesus, that he's the one who shines. He's the glorious one. And he gives us the privilege to be a reflection of his glory in the world. And so you see, when people see the reflection of Jesus in our lives, they're drawn to Jesus. They're drawn to his glory. That it's still not about me and it's still not about you. It's not about what we've done or what we say, but it's about the glory of Jesus. And at the end of the day, don't we want to experience the glory of Jesus? And don't we want the world to experience the glory, the magnificence, the love, the overwhelming beauty of Jesus the Christ? And we reflect that into a world that's dark. Uh, we reflect that into a world that's broken that we carry that into a world that's full of chaos and fear and struggle, and we brightly reflect the glory of the Lord. That's what he's called us to do. That's who you are. Sometimes you sell yourself short, right? Sometimes you get stuck in how you feel. You get stuck in the fear. You get stuck in the doubt. You get stuck in the chaos, and, and you forget who you are that in reality you are a reflection of the Christ, you are a reflection of the Son of God, that you are an image bearer of the creator of the universe, and he's called you to be light, his light, reflected light in a world that so desperately needs him. Um, I, I had a friend, uh, a dear friend of ours passed away a week ago. His name was Bill Starr. He was, 94 years old, and uh, 
if, if there was ever somebody that reflected Jesus, it was my friend Bill Starr. He'd been the president of Young Life years and years ago, and he was mentor for me. We would meet every, uh, we meet and play racquetball, so he just beat me to death in racquetball, and then he would talk to me about, he'd ask me questions. Most of the time, he just asked me questions about Jesus, about life, about family, about leadership, about all these things, and he would just ask, ask me questions, affirm me, kind of help build me up, walk with me. So I was at his, I went to see him, he was 90, when he was 92, I was, went to see him in, um, in Idaho, and uh, we're five minutes into a conversation, he's 92 years old, he's very fragile, but he says, wait, Larry, I just got to tell you what I read this morning, and he grabs his Bible, and he opens it up to the book of James, and he starts reading this passage that he had read that morning, I've never seen this like this before. I've never, I, I, I've, I've missed this, and, and somehow I just saw it this morning, and I thought, thank you, Jesus, for what I'm learning, what I'm seeing, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, Jesus, forgive me for thinking I know the Bible. Forgive me for thinking I've got this down, that I, I just, I, I, I need, to, I need to, to, to be like Bill. He reflected Jesus in my life. He taught me, showed me what that looked like. We all need people that help us to see that, but we also need to be reminded constantly that you are a reflection of Christ in the world in ways that you don't understand, in ways that maybe you'll never know. So we can pray, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, but we never forget that I'm a reflection of the glory of Jesus in a dark world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these stories of the transfiguration and and then coming down the mountain and back into real life and what that looks like. But Lord, you are present. You are present at the top of the mountain and you're, you're present in the valley and we are so grateful this morning, Lord. And, and we're also grateful that, that we can bring all of the confusion of our lives, that we can bring our belief and we can bring our doubt and you embrace us, Lord, and you remind us that, that those are emotions and what really matters is what's true and what's true is you and your resurrection and the life that you've offered us, Lord. And so we thank you, and we receive that this morning, Lord. We are so grateful, so grateful for all that you've done in our lives. And Lord, I ask that you would make us a brighter reflection of you than ever before. Lord, that you would light a fire in our hearts and our lives that cause us to reflect your love in a world that so desperately needs to see it. And Lord, then we'll give you all the glory because it's for your sake and it's for your kingdom. And we'll give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me, please? Let me remind you of a couple of things. Uh, one is that uh, there's a town hall meeting right after this. And I encourage you, if you have time, to go. It can be inf informational, uh, timely. So take advantage of that. And then also a reminder at the Home Point Center, uh, we, have, uh, we have materials for you for Holy Week. That, that one of the things that we wanna avoid is that we kind of sprint through our lives and we get to Easter and we sort of slide into home on Easter and we're exhausted and we just sort of do church on Easter and we go and that's kind of it. And how do we prepare ourselves to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus? So we have tools for you for family things, for around the table, uh, for couples, whatever it is, and, and you can just pick out what you need, and, and there are tools to help you. Next Sunday, we start Holy Week, 
and there are tools that can help you to, to acknowledge, to, to recognize all the things as the week progresses, as Jesus goes into Jerusalem, comes back, goes out, comes back in, uh, all the things that happen during that week, uh, Monday, Thursday, when they celebrate the, the Lord's Supper together, uh, there's, then we have Good Friday service here. We'd love to see you also Easter Sunday. But as you prepare for that, there are tools for you to help you uh, so that you don't just sprint into Easter, but that it's a holy week uh, for you. So take advantage um, of, of those, um, those things. And uh, my, my prayer for us this week is that we'll be okay bringing our beliefs, but bringing our struggles, our doubts, our fears, all of those things to Jesus. And it doesn't mean that you're not a super Christian because I don't know any super Christians. So that puts us all in the same club. It means that we're all people who are following Jesus together, uh, that we're, we're growing to know him. And my prayer is that we would begin to reflect in, in maybe ways and brighter and better ways than we ever have before, if reflect the glory of Jesus uh, to a world that so desperately needs to to see him. Good? All right? All right. I love you guys. Have a great day. God bless. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.